Tonight's podcast is about something a certain professor wrote about an event that I was involved in, which, in my view, is a gross misrepresentation of what happened. The event that I'm talking about is not a protest that I was involved against the Zionists. It wasn't a speech that I made. The event I'm talking about is my wedding 40 years ago. You're listening to Committing High Reason, the podcast that brings you the thoughts that count. With your host, Rabbi Yaakov Shapiro. I gotta tell you, those 40 years passed so fast, it seems like just yesterday. And you know, we all know, as we get older, time seems to fly faster and faster. And I have my own theory as to why that is. But first, I'm going to give you someone else's opinion. I have in front of me uh, an article from Scientific American. This was in 2016. It's titled, Why Does Time Seem to Speed Up with Age? It says here that the reason is because new experiences have a greater impact on us. And when we're younger, our experiences are more new. But as we get older, the experiences are more repetitive. Same thing happens every day, same routine. So therefore, the impact of the time as we get older is less. So it seems that time takes more time when we're younger than it, is, than it does when we're older, when things are just repetitive. This is what it says over here in um, July 1st, 2016, Scientific American. I, I'm not sure I understand this. Although it's true that when we're younger, we have more new experiences, but after a while, maybe when you're 20, 30, 40, or maybe even 50, the routine is already in place. Meaning, although you experience more new things when you're uh, five than when you're 25, I don't think it's really true that you experience more new things when you're 50 than when you're 60. After a while, uh, your life kind of matures and sets into that routine. And if this is true, then... Time should accelerate only until that point in time where your life settles into routine, after which time should feel kind of the same. So when you're 60 or 50 or 40, time shouldn't really accelerate as time goes by, and yet it does. When I was 30, 40, 50, 60, time continuously accelerates even though the routine of life doesn't accelerate, certainly not proportionately. So I would suggest a different reason. I had this idea a long, long time ago, and it's a simple issue of mathematics. When a person is five years old and he experiences one year, so yes, one year, it's the same amount of time as one year when a person is 50, but when a person is five, that one year is 20% of his life. When he's 10 years old, that same one year is only 10% of his life. When he's 20 years old, that same one year is only 5% of his life. And as he gets older, regardless of his experiences and regardless of his routine, as he gets older, the same amount of time, the same chunk of time, represents a smaller proportion of the life that he's lived. So now it would seem to me quite simple. When you're young 
and you experience a large chunk of time relative to how much you've lived, you just experienced 20% of your life when you're five years old and you experience a year. 20% of your life would make a great impact. When you're 10, you've experienced 10% of your life. So that same year makes less of an impact. When you're 50, one year represents 2% of your life. And like everything else, if it increases by 2%, it makes less of an impact than something that increases 10% or 20%. And therefore, as we get older, year by year, the same amount of time represents a smaller chunk of our life and so makes a smaller impact. And so it seems like time goes by in less time, meaning faster. Now, getting back to my wedding. It was brought to my attention by an uncle of my daughter-in-law, we call him Stretch because he's a tall guy, that my wedding was mentioned by a Professor Samuel Heilman in a book that he wrote called Who Will Lead Us? The book is about Hasidic courts, Rebbe's Hasidim and their stories. Now, what he told me that it said about my wedding confused me because I didn't remember that at all. So I took a look at the book. I have the Kindle version in front of me now. And when it talks about Satma, it has a whole section about Satma. So it has a section about the Rebetzin. Oh, by the way, I just want to tell you, I do not recommend this book. It's horrific. It misrepresents personalities, including really righteous people. Some non-righteous people too, but, uh, but even very righteous people. It, it just portrays in general Hasidim and Rebbes and sages and everybody involved with them as, as one big, gigantic contest for, for power and uh, prestige. And all their motivations is almost completely bereft of religion or idealism, uh, spirituality. Anyway, uh, on this section in Satma, it speaks about the Satma Rebetzin, Rabbi Yoel's wife. Now, if there was a righteous woman in the world, I knew her all my life, literally. And if there was a righteous woman in the world, uh, it was her. You're talking about somebody who had, well, spent all her day, all her days, praying, doing people favors, charitable work. And although she had tremendous clout politically and both within Satma and outside Satma. She was one of the humblest people you'll ever meet. I'll, I'll tell you a story. One time, my mother, and may she live long and well, was a public school teacher and she wasn't happy with the school that she was in. It was in a, a bad neighborhood and the, it was not safe, first of all, physically unsafe. And also she was very uncomfortable. It was a hostile environment towards her because of racism that was prevalent in that school. And she wanted a transfer, and it was she couldn't get it. She went to her union, and well, try as she might, she was unable to get it. She once complained to the Rebetzin about this, and the Rebetzin made a phone call. I don't know who she called, but immediately my mother was transferred to a really good school. 
in a really good neighborhood. She had a tremendous amount of clout and power, and yet she spent all her day humbly praying and helping others. She would go to women's houses, women who couldn't cope, and if their home was dirty, she has been known to get, to, to get down on her hands and knees with a bucket of water and a sponge and clean their floor. She would go to women's houses and clean their floor on her hands and knees. She ran these gigantic charitable organizations. The Bikr Cholim is, is the most famous. And although she was running these gigantic organizations, gigantic organizations, she would do whatever work she could herself. She was found, a friend I know, a friend of mine I know, saw her in Grand Central Station carrying two large shopping bags. Now, she was a petite woman carrying two shopping bags. And this man asked her, what, what are you carrying these bags? A Rebetzin alone in Grand Central Station. What are you doing with these bags? She has to bring food, cake, or whatever was in there to people in the hospital. It was a mitzvah. It's a good deed. And she wanted to do it herself. In any case, let's get back to my wedding. After it describes the Rebetzin as somebody who was vying for power, who was, uh, quote, once upon a time at the head of Satmar in all but name, which is completely not true, it describes her demanding respect. This is what it says. She demanded respect. This is after her husband passed away, the Satmar Rebbe. She did not demand respect. She was honored, appreciated, and acknowledged for who she was and what she did. You know, it's a funny thing. I always hear about how in Hasidic circles, especially Satma, how they denigrate women and how they mistreat women, how women don't count. And now suddenly, there's a woman who is, quote, the head of Satma in all but name, and she's demanding respect it is as absurd as it sounds. But anyway, listen to what it says. She demanded respect, but even when she received it from the new Rebbe's supporters, as she did in a full-page ad in Der Yid, that's a Satmar newspaper, of July 10th, 1981, that congratulated her on the marriage of her grand nephew, it echoed with a reminder that she really had no heirs who were among the new leadership of Satmar. So in July 1981, her grandnephew got married, and there was an ad, a full-page ad in the Satmar newspaper by the new Rebbe's followers congratulating her on that nephew's wedding. And this was her getting respect that she demanded. And yet, it reminded her that she didn't have any heirs among the new leadership of Satma. The Rebbe and the Rebetzin did not leave any children. They were childless. This grandnephew that they're talking about is me. This was my wedding. And I can tell you that this description of the Rebetzin being reminded 
by an ad that she has no heirs. It's so detached from reality. This was the furthest thing from the Rebbitz's mind. Let me tell you, and this is, again, this was my wedding, and there is nobody on this planet, dead or alive, that knows more about what the Rebbitzin felt during that time when her grandnephew got married than me. I also may mention that I'm the oldest of my siblings, and I was the first of them to get married. Also, she had no other grandnephews. I was the first and her closest relative to get married after the war. She was ecstatically happy, and the Hasidim were ecstatically happy for her. It was the last... It's unimaginable to me. I don't know where he got this idea from, that this was a reminder to her that she had no... That was the furthest thing on her mind. She was so incredibly happy for me. And the entire Satmo was so incredibly happy for her. The engagement party took place in her apartment. Tenoyim, we call it in, in Hebrew. Sheva brachas, a post-wedding party, which you have an option to have as many as you want during a week following the wedding. A grand Sheva brachas took place in the hall of Satmar in Monroe, that the Rebetzin sponsored. On my wedding invitation, it has the name of it's uh, the bride and the groom. It has the name of the parents. This is all traditional. And sometimes, very often, usually, it has the grandparents as well. In my case, it also had the Rebetzin. The Rebetzin signed my wedding invitation. There was only happiness, celebration, joy, and pride. She had no interest, certainly no reminder about heirs taking over Satman. Believe me, oh, she, she would have wanted, oh, she wanted, they, they desired to have children, the Satman Rebbe and the Rebbitson, but not in order to have somebody take over that never crossed her mind. And yes, she spoke to me about the fact that I'm her nephew and how close I am to her and what a wonderful thing it means to her. And no, no. But it's not just about the Rebetzin. The, the entire book, by the way, is like this. It's just speculation about uh, people's motives, with sometimes with basis, but very often without. Absolutely without basis. And sometimes it's just the opposite. There's, there's, to me, there's clearly an agenda over here. Now, regarding this advertisement, that's the main point I want to bring out. She demanded respect, and she got it in the form of a full-page ad in the July 10th, 1981 issue of Der Yid. Well, I took out my wedding scrapbook, and I have the ads, not an ad, the ads that were put in Der Yid Friday, July 10th, 1981. I have them in my hands, not copies, not microfilm. I have the original ads cut out of the paper. I cut them out 40 years ago. Put them in a scrapbook. And I have them in my head. I'm going to put pictures of them in the show notes. Now, just so you know, there wasn't one ad in the newspaper. As far as I remember, actually, a plurality of material in that week's issue of the newspaper had to do with my wedding. 
There was one full-page ad I'm holding in my hand now by Avram Lefkowitz in the name of the workers of a business crystal clear. That was a full-page ad. There was a quarter of a page ad by the workers or the administration, it says Vat Hanhola, the administration of Yelit Shashum de Rabbeinu Yoyel Beis Fega, that was her charitable organization. It was a convalescent home for women recovering from childbirth. Then there was an article, a little more than a quarter of a page in Yiddish, an article about my wedding in the same edition. But the ad he's probably referring to is on page 11. Really nice, elaborate advertisement. Full page, signed by Gabai Hayeshiva. Gabai mean is a hard word to translate. It's a student who's in charge of being an administrator over certain student activities, uh, particularly religious ones. It signs Gabai HaYeshiva, there's no name given, B'Shem Talmidei HaYeshiva, Tayr Darbenu Yoyel Misatma Bekiryus Yoyel, in the name of the students of the Yeshiva, called Torah Vayira, it's the Satma Yeshiva in Monroe, and it signs, It means we who cherish you and honor you appropriately for your lofty stature. It sounds much more normal in Hebrew, actually. Now, what was the story behind this ad? Was it indeed a response or a result of or have anything to do with the Rebetzin's demanding respect? Well, this ad was put in the newspaper 40, over 40 years ago. And although it was anonymous, I have here as a guest tonight the teenager, or the then teenager, now he's already a grandfather, who was responsible for the creation and publication of this advertisement. I know who it is because 20-something years ago he approached me and introduced himself as the person responsible for this advertisement. I had since confirmed many times that this is true because I had met several students of that yeshiva who have grown up, and I called Shmiel Aaron Schwartz and asked him to be a guest on my podcast tonight to explain to us the real story. So, Shmuel Aaron, how are you this evening? Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, everything wonderful. It's good to have you on. So, listen, we found out that you were in—you were the man behind this advertisement that I'm holding in my hands now. I have three—I managed to find in my scrapbook from my wedding three advertisements and one article in the July 10th, 1981 edition of Der Yid, two full-page ads, and I assume that being that. Two of the three ads that I have are signed by uh, Avram Lefkowitz from Crystal Clear and uh, Naftali Goldberger, Echil Glauber. The only possible ad that Heilman could be referring to is this one, signed Gabai Hayeshiva, which means the... Gabai is somebody who is in charge of the daily running of Yeshiva, not from the higher-up office of Yeshiva, but from the inner um, student body the student body in charge of the activities and the daily uh, running of the schedule of the students and every everything that happens with 
the yeshiva. All right, Boruch here is looking up Gabai. Sexton, it says. Okay, that's the word, sexton. It's the okay. sexton of the yeshiva. Okay, if anybody wants to know what sexton means, it means Gabai. So uh, tell me, you were behind this ad. You initiated it. Tell me the story. Where did the idea to put this ad in, where, where did it come from, and how did you think of it? The Rebbitson, uh should be a blessed memory was was a, a, a person beyond, legendary, larger than life, a thousand times. She was involved in so many people's lives for the good, helping them out in different ways, money and activities, all kinds of stuff. And we felt an enormous amount of gratitude and recognition. When you say and we, what, who's the we? Who? How old were we, you then? I, I must have been 17. Okay, so you were 17 years old, and this you were representing the students of the yeshiva, of the rabbinic school, of Satma. Also, probably, or how old were they? Uh, older than me, because I, just, uh, I, I was one of the younger students. So 18, 19, 20? Yes. Okay, and about how many students do you say this ad represented? Oh, um, I was about. Yeshiva was large, it was huge, it was hundreds of, of, of buffalo. Hundreds. Okay, there were hundreds. So this full-page ad represented the well wishes for my wedding to my great-aunt, the Rebetzin, of a few, of several hundred students in Satma. You had this idea to create this ad, and put it in the paper. Could you tell us a little about that? As I said, we felt we wanted to express our deep, um, I would say, you know, thankfulness for the Rebison. This was the first wedding in her family. She lost all the family in the, in the Holocaust, and this was the first child of her family. That was the big hospital. So it was a, it was a big event. We, we looked at it this way, and we wanted to express Publicly, uh, that we align ourselves with the with the, with the Rebson Simcha, with the Rebson's uh, joyous occasion, and we wanted to give it out a full page. And I got the funding for it, and personally, well, you collected uh, the money. You went and collected yes, the money. Do you yes, remember yes. how much it cost at that time? It was a it was a few hundred dollars, and a long time forty years ago, a few hundred dollars was a, yes, a lot yes, more than yes. it is today. Yes, yes, certainly. Uh, this is a beautifully written ad. Uh, it's professional. It A lot of the full page is taken up with text, and it's written in the prose style of the Hungarian Hasidic style. It rhymes. Every every phrase rhymes with the next. It's beautifully done. Who did this ad? Who wrote this ad? And this was not done by a 17-year-old student. Well, it was not done by me, that's for sure. It was done by professionals, as the, as the ad indicates. And I cannot remember who was in charge of making the text of that ad. It just it slipped my mind, my mind because a lot of things uh, went to, <laughs> I went through since, since then. But uh, this was, uh, you know, um, uh, it was done. I can't remember who, who put it together. I can't remember. But I, I, I sat on it and I was involved. It should be done the right way. Right. And this was not initiated in any way by the Rebetzin, nor was it uh, a response to anything that the Rebetzin indicated. She never indicated ever that this is something she would want. Correct? Ab absolutely not. Everything, everything to this, 
to this to this indication would be laughable because I didn't have anything on a personal relations with the, with the, with the rabbits. I was a young nobody, and the rabbit was the rabbit. So of course not. This was our feeling that we need to bring out, as I said, our our highest um, um, thanks to the rabbit. Right, so saying that, that the students of the school, because of what the Rebbitson did for the public, for the people of the congregation, a few hundred students in the school put in an ad in their yid, you collected the money, you got somebody to write the ad, again, beautifully written ad, and so when Professor Heilman says that the Rebbitson demanded respect, what would you say to that? Well, that comes out straight from the Sturmer, the Sturmer of Joseph Gable, because I was there in the thick of all this activity, and not a shred of this is anything close to an ounce of truthness, truthfulness. Not a shred. Not a shred. It's nothing. It has nothing to do with the Rebbitson. The Rebbitson didn't demand. There was never, the Rebbitson was never a demand type. <laughs> the Rebbitson did her job with with her, with her being the Rebbitson that she's so much involved in charity and in kindness to so many individuals and organizations and all kinds of stuff. This was the Rebbitson. So uh, in no way, <laughs> anybody who knew the Rebbitson, she should be a demanding type. <laughs> Absolutely laughable. Yeah, it, it, is, it is pretty crazy that somebody can just uh, take yeah. a personality like that and just write random, arbitrary things that had no yeah. connection to reality. Yeah. I can't even imagine how somebody can opine that. And, and, and the, the whole, uh, the, the idea that uh, this was the, the, Rebbe, the new Rebbe's followers that wrote her this ad and gave her finally respect that she demanded. This is crazy. It sounds crazy to me. Do you have any idea where somebody would have gotten such an idea? Because I don't. No, no somebody, uh, somebody who has a lot of hate or an agenda will concoct all kinds of ideas so many years later that they have no idea of. And they, they, they would just, um, you know, kind of fabricate stuff. That's what, what they do. Fab, it's a fabrication from A to Z. You're talking to the person. I was involved. I can't remember little details because it's been a while. I'm 57 yeah. now. And I was 17 then. You, you, you do the math. This was my wedding. Yes. I remember. But to say to say like this is is uh, we have to we have to quiet down such a such a evil talk and 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 bring the facts out for everybody who wants to know the truth. And I want to also uh, mention that even though I know you now, 40 years ago, I had no idea who you were. And you had no, you never spoke to me either in my life. None of the boys in this yeshiva did this for me, even though it was my wedding. You mentioned my, my father in there and my wife and her father. This was done for none of the actual parties involved. It was done completely and totally for the Rebbitson. Absolutely, yes. Absolutely. This was a tool we wanted to identify with the Rebbitsons at her peak of her, of her joy. And, you know, a nephew of hers, uh, a nephew's son is getting married, you know, after all the Rebson did for everybody. And so, so do we want to just take part in a simple, and we did it in our modest way of putting it in an ad.
has nothing to do. We never knew the Rebbitson personally, never Rebbitson demanded it. All of this is flat out lies. And you didn't even know the Rebbitson personally. You had nothing to gain oh, by it. No. In fact, this ad was anonymous. It was anonymous. Even if the Rebbitson yeah. wanted to, she couldn't even repay whoever wrote this ad. It was an anonymous no, no, ad. No, we didn't even know. No, we didn't even know the Rebbitson. I wasn't 17 year old nobody. The Rebbitson was the Rebbitson. No, no, no. The Rebbitson, we just felt we want to do our little part in making the Rebbitson Simcha, you know, uh, uh, to enhance it in a little way. Uh-huh. You moved. All right, Shmuel Aaron, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate yes. it, and be well. My, my pleasure. Anytime, Rabbi Shapiro. So there you have it. The entire narrative of the Rebbitson demanding respect, and she when she finally got it by a, an ad, one an ad in the paper by the Rebbe's followers. It was a reminder of the heirs that she wanted but didn't have, the people who would be the leaders. All of this is in is is not reality, and this is certainly not the most egregious of such falsely denigrating stories about. Orthodox Jews or ultra-Orthodox Jews by members of academia. Now, and the only reason I spoke about this one now is because of my intimate knowledge of the people involved and the story itself. Next week, I'm going to have a more egregious example of inverting reality by members of academia And my guest, Professor Norton Mesvinsky, is going to try to explain to us why this type of thing happens. Thank you for listening to Committing High Reason, the podcast that brings you the thoughts that count. For more material from Rabbi Shapiro and for this episode's show notes and links, head on over to www.committinghighreason.com. 